Good morning, church. If you see me waving my hands around kind of wildly, I haven't uh, fallen into a seizure. There's, this is the time of year where this is the place where flies come to die for some reason. It just becomes this utter like carpet of flies. So I might be, might be doing a pig pen up here with things flying all over around me. Well, we are in um, the, uh, the book of Titus. We're making our way in a sermon series titled Grace for Good. And we are in the second part of chapter one, starting at verse 10. Titus chapter one, verse 10. If you'd like to follow along, there's the Bibles under the seats in front of you. Titus chapter one, verse 10. Titus is at the end of the T section. Get to the Thessalonians and Timothy and get past that and you get to Titus, three chapters. Chapter one, verse 10. For there are many who are insubordinate, Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the gift of this day for the gift of your word that is alive, for the outpouring of your spirit that you promised, the the counselor, the advocate, the one who opens up our hearts and our minds and creates faith and hope and life in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we we trust that your spirit is with us for you. You have promised where two or three are gathered to be in their midst, and so we claim that now. And as we open scripture together, would you transform our hearts and minds, each one of us? Will you meet us where we're at in our daily walk, in our faith, in our life, And would you give us a godly perspective, a godly understanding? Would you come and move us? We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Well, Titus has been sent by the Apostle Paul to the Isle of Crete to put into order the churches that are floundering. And last week, we heard about how Titus has been charged by Paul to appoint elders, overseers, leaders who will help to bring the churches on Crete out of the chaos that has been plaguing them because we can't live in chaos. Churches can't exist in chaos, right? Where there's chaos, people don't live into the fullness of who God is calling them or, or, or drawing them to be. And churches aren't effective in proclaiming the gospel. They don't bring people to faith because people don't hear or see the truth, the hope, the peace, the joy, the fruit of the Spirit lived out in the lives of the people that call themselves Christians when the churches themselves are in chaos. So to combat that chaos, to bring spiritual growth and effective and productive ministry it's important for any church to have good and solid leadership, not only pastorally, but, but in terms of lay leadership, elders and shepherds and council members and board leaders. Leaders matter for any organization, but especially for the church. And last week, we were reminded of the importance of going to a healthy church, a gospel-centered church, one with healthy leadership where people who attend it are longing to be transformed, longing for personal growth. And I encouraged all of us to desire in our church that everyone should strive to have be someone who could be called upon for leadership in various ways or areas with various gifts, all that come from God. So this week, Paul flushes out for us what's happening in those churches on Crete, 
in the text that I read, we can see why there is chaos and confusion. Turn to verse 10 there. It says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. And then he goes on at the end of that and he flushes out a little bit of what that means and what they should do. In verse 16 he says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. That verse 10, they're, they're insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers. Deceivers, they're, they're people who are teaching a false gospel. They, they, are, they are teaching false doctrine. They're drawing people back into following laws and, and legalism. It says they're empty talkers, meaning they say one thing, they might be calling people back to living underneath the law, but they're doing something totally different. They're empty talkers. And then it says, the first word there, they're insubordinate. In some of your Bibles, maybe versions might say they are rebellious. Well, teaching false doctrine or a different gospel and being an empty talkers, I think we can all kind of agree that obviously those things are, are un unhelpful or, or just downright wrong. But what's the deal with insubordinate? I want to focus on that word today. Because I believe at the heart of the problem here in Crete, and often the heart of the problem in our own day-to-day -day lives, and in the, lives of our, in, the, in the experience of our churches, I think at the heart of that problem is this word insubordinate. Insubordination. Well, that word just has been stuck in my noggin all week. Every time I was considering and every time I was reading the Scripture over and over to, to think about what I was going to preach on and I was just kind of going through all sorts of scenarios and reading all sorts of stuff, one word kept coming back to me, insubordination. Insubordination. The Lord kept bringing it back as if to say, preach on this. Or also, Dave, you need to hear this. <laughs> right? Same thing. Lord, let me, let me preach a sermon that I need too, right? It's a word that we hear maybe not that often. It, it certainly isn't a word that we use in our daily life, right? I mean, when's the last time you said it? If you hear it used before, it's probably in some particular setting, maybe like in a, a movie about a military operation where, where someone is being court-martialed because of insubordination. Or maybe at work, you've heard that term, someone who is being disciplined or fired because of insubordination. Well, the Greek word that's used here, I'm going to try it out here, anaputaktos, it literally means rebellious or disobedient, not submissive, defiant towards duly appointed authority or leadership, uncontrollable. But here's the kicker. Here's the, the biblical definition that I found of this word and why I kept coming back to it all week. The biblical definition here is they will not fall in line with or fit into God's plan. They are unwilling to come under Christ's lordship. There were people in the churches on the Isle of Crete who were unwilling to come under Christ's lordship. <laughs> That's not good, FYI, if we're going to be followers of Jesus. So Paul tells Titus, you've got to find godly lay leadership, God, godly elders for these churches. Insubordinate. Without Jesus' leadership or lordship, what happens to any single one of us? Right? Without living under the lordship of Christ in our day-to-day -day lives, right? We, we, we fall into false teaching. We can easily fall into false doctrines, which leads to self-deceit. And then when we're deceived within our own selves, we start talking to other people and we quickly start deceiving or causing others to lose their way. 
And if you're not living under Jesus' lordship, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus, but your actions won't match your words because they're not being guided by the Holy Spirit. Right? And that way, we become an empty talker. <laughs> and the Greek word there was an idle talker, one who utters empty, senseless things. When we lose sight of Jesus in our life, when we go off the rails, we lose sight of the truth, and we're unwilling to have, when we're unwilling to have Jesus as King and Lord, unwilling to follow Him, we are insubordinate and rebellious, unyielding to His authority and Lordship. And when that, of course, not only do we become useless for the kingdom because we're not following Jesus, we become dangerous. A danger to the faith of others because we can lead them astray, or we just hurt our witness because we're saying one thing and doing another. Amen? Maybe you've had a friend who reads a particular book or listens to a sermon from some unknown preacher and just runs down a path, and when you hear it, you think to yourself, that just doesn't sound right. There's something off in this teaching. It might be prosperity gospel, right? That Christians can be rich. Wealth will come when you plant $1,000 in our ministry. A hundredfold will come back to you. Please don't do that here. It's a false gospel. Or that the point of following Jesus is personal wealth and well-being and fame, enabling you to live your best life now. Prosperity gospel. We're called to die to ourselves. Pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> Oof. Or maybe your friend shares with you what they believe, but you know what they're saying is directly counter to what you find in the Bible and what the Bible teaches. If you remember last week, I mentioned that the battleground for the devil isn't out there in the world. Do you remember when I said that? The battleground for the devil is in the hearts and the minds of Christians and in the churches that proclaim Christ as Lord. That's where the front line is. The devil is always trying to thwart and discourage and ruin the witness of individual Christians and groups of Christians, churches, and ministries. So how do we battle this? How do we come against this? How do we confront the enemy who wants us and our ministry to become insubordinate, not under the lordship of Christ? Well, there's two words that I want to focus on that can help us battle insubordination in ourselves and in our churches. And those two words are this. Humility and pursuit. Humility. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to go there more than once today, so you can put a, a card there. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting at verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist Him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Humility. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast your anxieties on him. He loves you. To humble yourself in this way is to place yourself under the lordship, right? The care of Jesus. The authority. The power of Jesus. 
Now, I, re- I remember a time in my life, and maybe you can think to a time in your life, when I, when I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. Like, I'd been raised in this wonderful Christian home. I, I, I believed in Jesus. Man, but the world just seemed so enticing to me. There was so much to do. And maybe I could be a Christian, but just sort of pick and choose what it meant, and then I could just kind of make my way in the world doing what I wanted in the world. I could say one thing in my faith life and live another. I had feet in both camps. Am I alone? It didn't go well. (laughs) Not only was I a terrible witness to others in my Christian walk, I found no personal peace because I knew the truth and it just kind of plagued me. God kept calling me and bottlenecking me and and decisions that I was making that were wrong just ended up bringing unsettling disasters. (laughs) And I wasn't finding any peace. And God kept saying, back to me, back to me. I didn't find personal peace and it caused some serious heartaches in my life. You see, you will either be humbled by God who longs for you, who chases after you, And if need be, he will humble you to have you as his own and to be the Lord of your life, or you will humble yourself. Humble yourself then under God's mighty hand that he may exalt you in due time. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who he is. And when you humble yourself before your creator, not only is it a blessing, it brings peace. Because your, your, your life lines up with the truth. Can I get a witness on that? Your life lines up with the truth. You aren't claiming to be a follower. You're, you're seeking to live that out. And that doesn't mean you become perfect, but that means you're always turning to Jesus for guidance and direction. You're turning to Jesus for the fullness of blessing in, in your life, but you're turning to him when you've, when you've failed and gone, and, and gone off the rails and you turn back to him. You're continually in relationship with this living Lord. And Jesus is a loving Lord, the good shepherd, Scripture calls him. Not the harsh one. Not the one who who takes off with the 99 and is like, well, that one wasn't that great anyways. He's the one who leaves the 99 to find the one. That's you and me. He's the good shepherd. He comes to comfort and heal and strengthen and fill and guide you. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. James 4, verse 10 simply says this, humble yourself before the Lord. He'll exalt you. Living under the Lordship of Christ is not like being enslaved to a harsh master. It it isn't fear-inducing, anxiety-creating a loss of control. Anybody like to lose control? Man, we are control. Even people that aren't control freaks don't like it, do they? (laughs) Not easy. But that's not the point. Living under His Lordship And in his guidance is protection, it's grace, it's love, it's the fullness of who you can be, and it's the goodness of God that he gives and brings. And sometimes we experience that as encouragement, sometimes as correction. Psalm 25, verse 9. Psalm 25, verse 9 says, He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. 
It's the same sort of care and love that Paul and Titus have in mind when they're placing elders over the church on Crete. And it's the same sort of thing that when we have leadership and council members and shepherds in this church, it's people who care for and love this body who want it to be healthy and effective in his witness, and that means healthy and effective individual people growing in Christ. That's the goal. (laughs) That we're continually turning to Jesus and growing in our faith. Turn back to 1 Peter. Remember I said we were going to go back there. Turn back to that 1 Peter passage. And we're going to jump up to the first verse there. 1 Peter 5, verse 1. This is talking about elders here again. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, underline this, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility, circle it, towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Subject yourselves to one another. First to the Lord, then to authorities in Christ, and then to one another. Well, the first word that keeps us from insubordination is humble, humility. That's the first word. Humbling ourselves, coming under Christ's lordship. The second is pursuit. Pursuit. Pursue correction. Pursue correction. It's not really something that I tell my children, (laughs) you know, know, hey, pursue my correction. It just doesn't sound very fun, does it? It's it's just not a it's not a great word to hear. Hey, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, Lord, correct me. It just doesn't doesn't come. It doesn't just roll off the tongue, does it? But if we are to live under Christ's lordship, and we are to humble ourselves, one of the ways that we do that is to pursue His correction desire the things that are good, right, pure, lovely, and godly. The problem is we're sinners and we're broken, and our first move isn't always to desire the good, the wonderful, and the pure. I said this before. I stop at a convenience store. I do not see the basket of, of fruit on the counter that is right before me as I'm paying. What I see is the aisle of Cheetos. My first move is to brokenness. Is to not something that really is going to, you know, I mean, look at me, Right? We're broken. And our first move, our default, is always to that brokenness. What we need is God's correction of us to keep us on course, to shepherd and to guide us. I used to love, you know, going to Valley Fair when I was a kid because you could drive these old-time cars, you know, until I figured out that you couldn't have them jump the track and go anywhere you wanted. There was a track under them, and they were going to, you could do whatever you want with the steering wheel to a certain degree. They were going to just keep you in the track. Well, there's the gift in that. God provides offense in his love and his grace to to keep us from harm because he loves us. That's what we need. We need God's correction. The people of Crete 
had been converted by Paul, but had fallen in part because without leadership and fellowship, they started listening to their own heads, their own voices, their own understanding, their own wants, and they started falling back into old teachings. And he talks, Paul talks about the circumcision party, which the guys on Thursday morning, the Bible said he decided those words should never be put together. Anyways, um, <laughs> the reality is, is, is there that the, the, that that is the law for the folks who are kind of, yeah, you're saved by Jesus, but you know, now you're, <laughs> do the law again. Impress God with how good you are. Well, that didn't work. Paul's like, that's a false gospel. That's the circumcision party. There was no one there to correct them, and so they became insubordinate. They lost sight of Jesus' lordship, of God's goodness, of the free gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2. Amen? And when we lose sight of that, we fall into a false gospel. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves. It is a false gospel that binds us back to the law, and we're, we're lost. We're lost. But we can battle insubordination by pursuing, by correction, by being humble and pursuing that correction. And that can come in the form of discipline or encouragement. And I know that we all love encouragement when it comes to, comes to correction. You know, it, it, there is ways that when, with my kids, you know, I can, I can correct them by a, a positive word, you know, by pointing them in a positive direction. But there have been times when that didn't work. <laughs> Amen? And then, and then it was discipline. So how do we pursue that correction? Well, there's two ways that we pursue correction. First of all is by reading the Scriptures, by taking the Word of God and believing that God speaks through the living Word. His Word is alive and active. If this is just an academic exercise, and it's just something, you know, to, it's kind of like a, um, you know, a 10 steps to a better you type of a book, you can kind of, well, it doesn't, I don't know, you know, eh, take that out, put this, we'll take that page off. But if this is the living Word of God, we've got a whole different thing. Amen? So when we, when we allow this to be truly the Word of God, which it is, right? And we read it, we can get convicted by what we read. Remember in Nehemiah when the people finally had the Word of God and they read it, and as they listened to it, they started to weep? Because <laughs> after a couple hundred years, they are like, we're not following this, this is a disaster. And Nehemiah and Ezra were like, no, 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 don't weep. We have the Word of God. But it can convict as we read, amen? It convicts me. I'm a pastor. Don't think I'm standing up here because I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm something other than you. It convicts. When I'm not in line with what Jesus is asking, what the Word is saying to me, when I read it, I get convicted in my prayer. How I, how I pursue correction is to pray this. Lord, send your Spirit. Fill me. Change my heart and my desires even. Scripture does it. It will transform. Read it and then allow it to teach you, to correct you and to encourage you. Pursue and desire that correction. Pray for the Word to do the thing that it does, to come alive to move and to shape you. So secondly, first of all, we can read, we can be pursuing correction by reading the Word of God and allowing it to do what it does to us. And secondly, we can pursue correction by allowing pastors and elders to correct us and by listening to the faithful, those around us, the, the fellowship of believers that God places around you, by listening to them. 
Because God didn't send you into a cave to sit cross-legged and find him, right? God placed you in a community for a reason, because the Spirit works in community. We hold one another accountable. We read scripture together. We look at how God is moving. We discern by the power of the Holy Spirit what God is up to as a church, but also in our individual lives. We all need, I need, godly elders, Christian fellowship around me, people who say, yo-ho, Dave, uh -uh. you're wandering. That's your voice, not the Lord's voice. Isn't it amazing how you can make the Lord's voice sound just like yours? When, you, when, when, when God likes everything you like, you have found yourself not the Lord. Because he's bigger than you. He's calling you beyond yourself. That happens to all of us. We need to be surrounded by solid, godly friends, the fellowship of believer. It's why church is so important. Alone, it's easy to go off on tangents and get lost, isn't it? I mean, some of you are here because you were wandering for a while. <laughs> Amen? Listen, and, and I'm being serious here. I know there are a lot better preachers out there than me. You can go home right now and listen to 15 sermons that are way better than what I'm preaching right now. But this fellowship of this gathering is important. Do you understand? There are people hearing what you are hearing, talking about and being challenged and encouraged by what you are diving into along with all of us. And you get to join them and you can discuss and pursue that correction and encouragement together. You're not alone. You're in a body and a fellowship of believers so that you can continually place yourself underneath the Lordship of Jesus and not fall into insubordination. Plus, here's the thing in terms of me, unlike the wonderful preachers that you can listen to out there, and there are many of them, you can make an appointment with me and I'll meet you. Because <laughs> I want to wrestle with you. I mean, not literally. I will if I have to, but I mean, I want to wrestle through what you're going through. Because together we can discern what's, what the Lord is doing. And we can look to Scripture together. If you're doing that at home alone, just by surfing around on sermons, it, it can be encouraging, but you can get lost real quick, amen? And I'm not saying that to try to make this about this place or me. Go somewhere and get connected to a Bible-believing fellowship of believers. I, the point is, is that we need the fellowship to hold us into God's Lordship, the Lordship of Jesus. Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron. This is a great verse. Proverbs 27, 17. Write it down. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. <laughs> we sharpen one another in our faith through encouragement and correction as we follow the Scriptures and live under the Lordship of Christ. When we pursue correction together, we battle insubordination. In fact, desiring Jesus' correction and encouragement by walking honestly with fellow Christians, by that very nature, we are placing ourselves under his lordship. We are humbling ourselves. Now, maybe as I'm preaching this, 
your mind is spinning a little bit and thinking not just kind of about yourself in general, but about various places in your life that you hold on to or parts of yourself that you just don't let anyone speak into. <laughs> that you just don't want correction in. <laughs> you might avoid parts of Scripture because you just don't want to hear it. You don't want to give this up or humble yourself in this way or pursue correction in that certain area. After all, it's a lot easier to avoid it, isn't it? <laughs> to pretend that what the Bible teaches or what God desires is just antiquated or wrong or however you want to call it, right? It might be areas of money or addiction or sexuality. All of this sort of sensitive areas that we just don't want anyone meddling or telling us anything other than what we want to hear. We can plug our ears if we want, but I'll tell you this. Jesus wants all of us. Every area, every part. He wants our whole heart, our mind, everything about our bodies to be under his lordship. I see people spending time and energy defending and justifying behaviors and attitudes that just don't line up with scripture, with Jesus' lordship. I've done that. But God wants all of you. Every part of you. Not to crush you or discourage you, but to raise you up, to strengthen you, to draw you closer to him, to bring you to a place where you become the best version of yourself. The best you is found in Jesus. Amen? And it lives under His Lordship. His encouragement and His correction. It's where you'll find joy and peace and grace and forgiveness and love and salvation. We're going to close with Ephesians chapter 5. You turn to the book of Ephesians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. It says this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Ephesians 5, 8. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Underline that. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, as it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Underline that. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Underline verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Together we discern what is pleasing. We look carefully together, considering what, how we are walking, pursuing together the will of the Lord, praising God and submitting to one another to be underneath the Lordship of Christ. So that we might never fall into insubordination. So that we might always and forever live in the good and loving Lordship of Jesus, who is Savior and King. Let's pray. Father, would you draw near to us? Would you pour out your Spirit on us? Lord, we long to live under your Lordship, but at times our brokenness just bleeds in. So Father, would you unite us to one another 
Would you help us to place ourselves into one another's care? To seek you together in Scripture and then to hold one another accountable for your kingdom's sake and for the sake of our lives and our, our peace and our joy and our salvation. Father, pour out your Spirit on us. Be our Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say,